0: What's up, guys? It's social entrepreneur and Texan expat Eric Melcher, where you are listening to my podcast, Innovators Can Laugh, where I dive into the interesting and fascinating stories of innovators from all over the world. Before I forget, if you enjoy the show, please give us a review and join our newsletter at innovatorscanlaugh.substack.com, where you can get a preview and show notes of every guest we have on the show. It's not every day I come into contact with a modern-day renaissance man, someone who has a wide interest and is good at many different things. But Romanian startup founder Aline Rosca is such a person. Having been an actor appearing in commercials and movies as a kid, as a gymnast and a football player, an online trader who lost all his money in a single day, and startup founder for multiple companies, Aline has experienced many ups and downs throughout his life. Hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Let's jump right in, as Aline and I talk about his acting career when he was a kid to kick things off.
1: Most of my life, I would say my child life, I, was, I wanted to become an actor. And I spent a lot of time, I was acting in commercials and in movies. So if you Google Aline Rojka actor, you uh-huh. will find some, some, something about me. <laughs>
0: All right, and what kind of movies adventure horror movies comedy movies any hey,
1: anything like that to be honest, all sorts of movies I wasn't a cherry picker. <laughs> I was just enjoying it to being there uh-huh. and I played also in Romanian movies, American movies, one of them is uh madhouse is a horror movie okay I was a children back then I think I was like ten years old or something like that
0: very comfortable in front of the camera. this was something that you just naturally, I can do this. I can memorize lines. I think
1: it was a skill that has developed over time. Okay. Probably.
0: Did your mom push you into that, into the acting?
1: Actually, my mom was not pushing me to do nothing. Everything what I wanted to do, she was just saying, "Okay, let's do it." As <laughs> example, after two years of gymnastics, uh, the sport, the gymnastics, yeah, I said, "I don't want any more this. I want football." So I went doing four years football and after that i was saying i don't want football anymore i want to play tennis and things like that and she was saying okay to everything right. i think this was really good for myself to develop myself and most of the parents are saying you are not allowed to do that you cannot do that we don't have enough money to do that but my parents always try to do everything that me and my sister wanted uh-huh. And that was really nice, actually. Is, gym,
0: is gymnastic as demanding as it looks on TV? And I, I know, especially here in Romania, it's very, it's a, in the culture. You have a history of the Olympics. Nadia Camonacci, I know I just said her last yeah. time. Wrong, but is it very demanding when you start the sport, when you're doing the sport?
1: All well, the sports are demanding. If you refer at the pressure that the coach is putting on each, each children. Yeah, the coaches want, at least when I was young, now they are not that demanding anymore. They don't really care, to be honest, because I have a cousin. He's playing football for 10 years or so. He's still in the high school, but from um, since, since since he was 7 years old or something like that, He's playing football and his coach is not really a coach. They don't try anymore to motivate them, uh, to push them as much as possible in order to make performance and things like that.
0: Yeah. yeah. But it's one thing to, if you're playing football to run around the cones, to practice your, you know, your passing. But when I think of gymnastics, I think there's a lot of just strength that's required to be able to spin on the bars, do a couple of different flips and then have the mental focus to have your hands in the right place to catch the bar again, so that way you don't land on your face. I'm just wondering, from a mental focus point of view, is it a lot more demanding than some of the other sports that you play?
1: I think it's the same, honestly, because you have to do it at, until you're doing it. Like in <laughs> entrepreneurship as well, you have to practice a lot until you succeed. Okay,
0: okay. So I also read that back in in 2012, and you're working as a barista for Gloria Jean's Gourmet Coffee. And while there, you're a team leader in some sort of barista competition. What kind of competitions were baristas participating in while you were there during this time?
1: Basically, as a barista, you have also the job to make people laughing or smiling. It's not just about the coffee and the competition are about how you can make the best coffee how you can make them to look the best how you can impress your customers how you can make them feel good and you can choose to make regular coffee or to be nice and polite and to enjoy your job and th- that's why i went to to barista in high school uh, after the high school because it's called art latte so you can make art also from the coffee, like everything else. Actually, if you enjoy, you can do nice things and you can, you can make people happy.
0: <laughs> but I can't imagine. Of course, everybody's happy. They get the coffee that they've been craving for. I'm a coffee addict. I've got to have my coffee in the morning and then after lunch. But... I imagine that when I'm in a Starbucks or somewhere else that I'm not really laughing or too excited because I got my coffee. A lot of it, like you said, comes down to the person that's serving it to me. Was was there anything that from a human interaction point that you really practiced or you honed in like to to improve your skill and interacting with people while you were there?
1: I think it, come naturally to me after i was acting after i went to all those sports after i went in that in Galoop and i was speaking with people so it's something that i enjoy i'm really empathic and if you would come in gloria jeans and i would say hey what's your name and you said eric okay eric from today on i'm gonna make you the best cartoons in the in your coffee that you ever seen before you would come the second time to see (laughs) what is the next one. So you were making like cartoons in the coffee? Yeah, I was not the best at the beginning. But after a while, I started to develop this skill as well. And I would just randomly ask what you want to see in your coffee. And some of them would say, I don't know, I I would like to see the sun. Okay, I can make the sun. I cannot make your face, but some regular stuff I can make by hand, not by having some cartoons over there and put some chocolate and sprinkles and things like that. You make them by hand. And people were really, if you, probably in the US, this was something more developed than in Romania because I was doing this 10 years ago.
0: Yes, yes. For the making the different cartoons, I'm not really sure about that. But from going the extra effort for customer service and trying to please the customers, I think definitely. So if you were doing that, obviously stood out, it was memorable and people would go back because they appreciated the service. I do the same thing. If there's two bakeries that are very close to each other, I'm going to go to the one, not necessarily where the croissants are better, but where I feel like I'm getting better service. They, they remember me, they say hi, they say good morning. And, and Dad, if you can just do that from a retail perspective, you definitely have an edge here, I think, here in, in Romania. Okay, so you're at Gloria Jean's Coffee, and then 2014 comes around. You decide to launch your first startup. I think it's called Top World Traders. What was that business like? How did you discover there was an opportunity there? And, and, and can you tell us a little bit more about that experience?
1: Yeah, actually, at some point, I was thinking what I want to do. because At the beginning, I want to be an actor and I quit that. And I was thinking what I really want from life. And I was finding out that I want to become the richest man in the world. (laughs) And I was thinking, (laughs) how can I do that? (laughs) Okay, most of the richest persons in the world are uh, hedge fund managers. I want to become a hedge fund manager. And I was trying to reach that goal by developing a trading platform.
0: Okay. Firstly,
1: I was thinking, how can I improve traders? And I had to trade by myself and lose money to understand why people lose money trading.
0: Okay. How much money did you lose to figure out this lesson?
1: First, firstly, I was trading on demo accounts. After that, I went to casinos to, to get usual with the emotions. And after that, I was trading on the live platforms around 10000 euros and I stick with my strategy for one week and I lost all the money in one day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how is
0: that possible because even if you invest your money in a stock that it rarely will go down below 50% in value and that's even when earnings calls, calls come out and the company didn't meet expectations. And analysts don't like the stock and people will begin dumping it. It's very rare for a stock to go that much down in value. So I don't think you put all your money in one stock. What was your strategy?
1: I had a diversified strategy. I was trading multiple stocks and currencies. And at some point, because I made my strategy for one week. So during that week, I was making money. But at the end, in the following day, I had an intuition, and when you feel something, you don't think anymore about if it's right or not, and you take that decision. Okay. And from that point, before I take a decision based on my intuition, I'm always considering all the other factors as well.
0: All right. So what was the intuition to put all your money in one specific stock or currency? My
1: intuition was to trade gold. Okay. And gold had a big volatility back then. Okay. And that especially day, I think. And I lost all the money because I was very certain that my intuition was right. Okay. And uh, most of the money went in a few hours actually and because i didn't respect my money management strategy i lost all of them so i learned that you have to respect your strategy and you should consider all other factors not just your impatience.
0: how did this impact you you're pretty young and this is a lot amount of money that you probably had been saving over time Were you very depressed? Did you look at this as a big failure in your life? What was your reaction?
1: Honestly, it had affected me because I was more joyful before that. Now I'm like, I'm not enjoying as much as I was enjoying the life before that day, but (laughs) uh, I don't know who would. (laughs) Yeah, it was actually was the savings that I had work for a few years so seeing yeah it has it had an impact on me and now i'm more cautious when i'm taking decisions yeah so i am always trying to see the full part of the glass right not the the empty one the good part in things not the bad ones.
0: yeah i think i can empathize with you there was a, a time where my investments were doing really well I began to get a little bit cocky thinking, oh wow, they're up X percent. And you start playing numbers in your head, maybe in six months they'll be even more percent higher. And instead of paying off some debt now, I think I'll just keep investing and look for more, you know, riskier opportunities because you can't lose. Everything is making money, and then all of a sudden 30% of your portfolio is down, and it does linger with you. I've been in in that same position. But I, I think. Because you're young, it's a really good time in your life to learn that lesson. At least it didn't happen much later in life. So I want to jump to the UK because a little bit after that, you're in the UK. What, what prompted you to move to, is it London or were you in another city? in the
1: It was near London, was Horsham. I wanted to make a change and my godfathers were living over there. So I moved with, with my wife. Over there, we knew that it didn't represent a much risk because we had a place to live. We didn't have to pay rent. We had also money for some times. Also, my godfather find a job for my wife. So it was okay. And I had a time to to think about what I want to open, like a business. I thought of a few
0: different things. There was a, a company called Hobbyist Now. Uh, another company you created called Clean Sussex, and then another one called Warm Fragrances. (laughs) So it seemed like you had a lot of different ideas and you saw many different opportunities. What, how did you, let's start with the cleaning business. Like, where did you see this opportunity? How did you come about of discovering, oh, wait a minute, I think there's an opportunity here. What prompted that?
1: To be honest, my godfather had a friend who had the cleaning company. And he provided me all the knowledge that I needed in order to open this business.
0: Gotcha. And
1: in the meanwhile, I was also speaking with, with the owners that had Airbnb places.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they told me that there's a need for this type of service because most of their, the companies that were providing this service were not providing the full expectations. Okay. And as I told you earlier, I am really empathic. I like to do things right and to be perfect in everything that I'm doing. They gave me this chance to work with them. Uh, and... <laughs> so
0: how are you managing all three of these ventures? You also had the, the warm fragrances, which you're making candles. You're trying to come up with new recipes uh, and different scents. So what does the average day look like when you're trying to juggle all these three businesses?
1: A lot of work. I had days when I was working 16 hours per day. The only thing that I felt like would affect is my relationship with my wife. And that's why we came back in Romania. But besides that, I really enjoyed work that much, to be honest. I don't really like to stay and relax.
0: Which of the three did, did you enjoy working on more of those three startups?
1: I think the warm fragrances because I was working with my wife. Yeah. And also we were trying to sell the candles in, in the markets and I had this advantage to speak with people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So you're making these candles. Is this all this done being in, in, in done at your place, at your apartment or in your room?
1: Yeah. yeah in, actually we was doing them in our kitchen. <laughs> because you have to boil the wax, you have to put the right amount of oils and things like that. Was the smell was quite strong over there, but yeah, it was nice. It was nice to work with my wife.
0: So you were like a like a walking around, walking around piece of lavender. It sounds like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, and how, who are you selling these to? Just friends and family? Or were you also selling them to different niche retail stores? Like how were you getting these out
1: to the market? Actually, I didn't sell them to the stores. We were selling them in the market and online. There were every two, two, three three weeks there, you can find a, a market where we can go and sell things. And I, for friends and family, I just provide them for free to enjoy them. I was not selling to them. Okay. Okay. So let's go back.
0: You're in the UK for a few years, and you moved back to Bucharest. And I understand you're a big believer that companies who are not actively coaching their sales and customer care agents, that these companies have high attrition, and they experience low job satisfaction, at least the workers do. Now, this has ultimately led to you creating your latest adventure, which is RepsMate. How is RepsMate helping companies transform their reps into top performers?
1: Our vision is to build a platform that uses a mix of technologies and mix of functionalities that will enhance all the representatives. And by that, we want to actively coach the reps during the conversation, the, the conversations and also past conversations as well. Because this is what they miss the most. The managers don't really have time for everyone and they don't really build a relationship with each employees because most of them are leaving. So it's useless to try to make a new friend. If you know that there are 40% chances that employee will leave in a few months. So So you said
0: during the conversation to coach them, does that mean when they're on the call with a customer, they're also receiving some feedback based on their conversation through AI? Like, how is this, how does this work?
1: Yeah, exactly. So more than the feedback, they're going to receive also suggestions, but also they're going to receive what is the best possible answer that they could give to a certain questions or objection, because you don't know. What would be the best answer to give to a customers at a certain point? Even the managers don't know. They could in they have their intuitions, but they don't know for for sure that this is the best one.
0: That's and fascinating. this
1: okay. this That's is what AI could do.
0: What's been the response from companies who have implemented uh, RepsMate into into their
1: organizations? So basically, we are still piloting the product with our partners and they are amazed about what the technology can do actually because most of the things are like scientific maybe it's possible maybe it's not we will see but when they are when they see what is really happening they are amazed because they don't at the beginning they don't really believe that is possible what we are what we want to do. But after they are testing it, they are shocked, actually.
0: (laughs) Eileen, that's great to hear. That's a really cool technology. Having built a few different startups, were there any failures or lessons that you learned that you think have set you up for success?
1: Yeah, first one, I would say that you have to marry your co-founder. Because if you want to have success, you have to be transparent. You have to to trust him and he has to trust you. As in a marriage, we don't have another way. This is the most important thing. The second thing is that you always have to do a smoke test because it's the cheapest way to find out if your product is going to have an impact on your customers. Otherwise, you just spend money and you will not know for sure if you will succeed or not.
0: Aline, what books or podcasts have greatly influenced your career?
1: So I think the first book that I read and I loved it the most was The Richest Man in Babylon.
0: I love that book. I've de-gifted that book to a few different people. What did you like about that book? So
1: I think after I read that book, I started to save money. And I understood that you have to find the right advisors not just any advisor, or you have to find the right investors to help you along the way.
0: Okay. Aline, thanks so much for being on Innovators Can Laugh. Where can people learn more about you and RepsMate?
1: We are pretty easily to be found. Everyone can search for Aline Noroshka and RepsMate, and they could go on LinkedIn, Facebook, on our website, or wherever they uh, they search for us, they will find us.
0: Okay. Okay. Wonderful. And for everyone listening, until next week, this is Eric Melcher saying goodbye and la revedere. La revedere. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to write to me, my address is innovatorscollab at substack.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at Melcher underscore Eric on Facebook or Instagram at Innovators Can Laugh. I'm Eric Melcher and you're listening to Innovators Can Laugh.